I thought you could use some dad tips. So I I didn't know about playing it, and then I saw him lick the ketchup out of the hair, and I thought, (laughs) that is is perfect. That's just... So many, so many great ideas there for you to take into fathering. Well, and the, the pacifier thing literally happened about three minutes ago, right out there. I just picked <laughs> it up, looked at it, right back in. There yep. is not a parent who is not, here you go, yep. we're back at it. So uh, happy Father's Day to the dads and to everybody else. Happy day. Good, yeah. good, day, to, good day to be together. I was uh, doing a little bit of tracing back history and whatever, trying to remember what I was doing at 33 as a dad, you know, and, I, and I'm, I'm going through, I'm like, wow. So I had been at this church for a year. It would have been 1996. Uh, we, were, we were about to launch uh, weeks away from what turned out to be the last vacation Bible school we ever did. After that, I mean, it sounds weird. I feel like I'm talking about um, an outhouse or something like that, you know, going back all these years. But the next year was Veggie Tales. Do you remember Veggie Tales all those years oh, yeah. ago? Oh, and, yeah. and then before you know it, Veggie Tales morphed into day camp and, and all that. So uh, that fun was there. 1996, that summer, our youth group went on a trip to Mexico. They went in a van. Sorry, guys. If, I'm, if, I, if I remember correctly, the van's air conditioner went out. And and Jen Brooks was the only girl in the youth group that went on the trip to Mexico. (laughs) So I mean, this is yeah, that was that was quite an adventure. So my goodness, it's it's a million years ago. Thirty thirty three was fun. So this is technically your second Father's Day, but the first one that you get to look your kid in the eyes. Yeah. So well, it's kind of fun. So we we've brought the story up time and time again. I don't remember if it was birthday or Father's Day, but we got you a shirt that we were supposed to give you, and even after moving from Joliet to Shannon, we never found the shirt. So one of two things happened. Either mom thought she bought the shirt and she didn't, or it was tucked away into some tiny little crevice of that house that is now, it's just a part of the structural integrity of the house. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, today I got my my first official dad shirt because now I match Emmett. Not by my own choice, but uh, <laughs> he's, he's got the smalls thing on, so a little Sandlot theme going, which is pretty cool. So I can officially say I am old, which yeah, is cool. There like you go. It. There you go. I love it. It's fun. So I did have a little fun with my family yesterday. All of, all of us are now, except my dad. My dad still doesn't get the whole technology thing. He likes paper. But everybody else is involved in kind of a family chat. So I said, hey, i got to tell you about what we talked about at Green Lake. So with this lost and found theme, I told them about my little sister, Kathy. Every time we'd go to the store, she'd get lost, and especially Kmart. My mom and dad, okay, so I find out, you know, if this was true of your family or not. My mom and dad liked to do something on Saturday night that they called bumming. And I think bumming was, we're going shopping, but we're not buying anything. That, that, was, that was their term for it. And almost every Saturday night, we went to Kmart. Uh, you can see the great adventure in our family. Kmart on Saturday night. <laughs> we'd go bumming at Kmart, and it, it seemed like almost every time my little sister got lost. And you'd get the, attention, Kmart shoppers. We have a lost girl named Kathy here at the service desk. If it's your daughter, would you please come get her now? And uh, happened again and again and again. But, but, so I texted this, and then they start flowing with the Kmart memories. So I'm curious to know, 
Did any of you ever eat a Kmart sub? Did you know? Kmart used to have a deli. And my family would get Kmart subs regularly on Saturday night. Uh, the, the part I loved about them as a child, I don't know how they did this, but apparently they left it in the package long enough that it gathered a lot of moisture, say, a lot of humidity, subs sound and so it yeah. would have this nice, what yeah. they might call on bake, soggy bottom, you know? And uh, yeah, I loved it as a kid, and now I find it positively revolting. It's crazy. So yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. So well, enough of memories. Let's go, let's come to, to present. Day. Present day, you got your update, and there are some fun things coming up. You saw the fence out there, uh, ready to get a tent out there and get going with yeah. camp next, uh, not this coming this week, but the week to come. So a lot of plans coming together, and two pieces that are really important on that. Yeah, last year we had the, the super long line day one as everybody's kind of picking up their supplies, so we've kind of streamlined that process. If you'd like to get your supplies early, that's name tags, team numbers, all that kind of stuff. You can actually go see uh, Tessa out by the, or in the hallway there. Um, that's until noon, so until after second service ends. If you, wanna, if you have a camper that's signed up, you can head out to the hallway and get those supplies so that day one you don't have to stand in line. Um, and... Yeah, what's, you said there's two things? Well, the, the, the second is just that you, you have the, um, the playlist. Oh, the music so yeah, you can listen to all the songs in now. advance, which is fun. Yeah. Because I, I don't know about, if you've been involved in camp, you know that they do really awesome motions to yeah. all these songs. And part of the problem for me is if I don't listen to the music beforehand, I'm trying to learn the song and learn the motions. And again, I will admit, I'm old. And uh, doing those two things at once is not easy. So knowing the song going in, like, so I'm not just sitting there like an idiot, you know, kind of bebop and bouncing my head while they're also trying to figure out the motions helps. So listen to the music. It's uh, available on Spotify or it pulls up in a, a YouTube link. You can, so. watch, can watch the video. And, yeah. and you and your kids can start guessing. You can start guessing what's going on with the yeah. song, what the motion will be. Make up your own. Uh, there's one that's not here that I could use some help on. There was a, there was a craft I was going to do. I'm not going to say what it is, but I started looking at the supplies for it. And like everything else, uh, the price has gone up enough that I don't think I'm probably going to do it that way. So what I'm going to do instead, I need, if you're one of those people that's held on to textbooks that you keep thinking, someday I'm going to throw this away, but I just can't do it yet, we can put your textbook to an incredibly good use. You won't get it back. Okay, so if it's your favorite second grade social studies textbook, uh, you don't want to give it to us because you won't get it back. But I could use, I could use textbooks or books like that. And, and in terms of textbooks, you'd want to make sure that it's something that if a kid were to flip through pages, there would be no <laughs> surprises about sex ed or something like that. Okay, yeah. so, uh, you know, some, a good calculus textbook, an accounting textbook, they go, huh, what? So anyway, I need 29 of them. So if you, if you have been trying to get rid of, oh, let's put it this way, if you've been trying to get rid of your spouse's textbooks, um, <laughs> Talk to me, and I would love to go ahead and, and use those for a, for a craft that we're going to be doing. Speaking of crafts, we do have the rest of the, the Green Lake crafts that were made uh, sitting out on the countertop today where the coffee normally is. So if you made a craft and didn't pick that up, 
Uh, we have all those sitting out there, so you can grab those. We also have a little bit of a lost and found left behind. Um, we have a couple hats, a couple other things that will be out on that countertop. So if you're a Green Laker who's been looking for your lost things, just peek at the countertop. But if it's not on the countertop, then we don't have it. I've gotten a lot of other texts saying, hey, could, did you find my Apple dongle, like little thing for my uh, headphones? No. Sorry, it's, that probably is in the lake, it's gone forever, but whatever's on the countertop, feel free. If it's yours, you can, you can grab that. Speaking of students, this week there's no revive tonight as we gear up for camp, but I said in a remind on Thursday or Friday that there was going to be a uh, special event. It happens this Wednesday, so everybody who's going to be in sixth grade, through leaving for college, so our Green Lake ages are able to come here Wednesday night, and because our spike ball tournament got thwarted at camp, we are going to do it here. Oh, so yeah. spike ball tournament here Wednesday night, that's for anybody that, was, that is of Green Lake age. Even if you didn't go to Green Lake, you can come hang out with us. Uh, Don's on the grill, so we've got uh, over 50 hot dogs that are going to be uh, being grilled by Don, so make sure you come out and, and get some food for that too. If you don't want to play spike ball, if you just want to sit and watch because it's fun to sit and watch, do that too. You don't have to play in the tournament to be here, but that's, um, that's going to be this, uh, this Wednesday from 6 to 7.30. So a little bit different time than normal, but that hour and a half on Wednesday night, we'll be here with all of our kids. Good deal. Next Sunday will feel pretty normal to most of you. Uh, if you're involved in camp, by then you'll probably already be a little bit sleepy. But um, next Sunday will feel pretty normal. And then the Sunday after that is July 2nd. And that's the Sunday we'll be doing an outdoor service at 10 o'clock. And uh, we'll be under a tent, so we will be shaded. Everybody will be shaded, not just the people that come early and get under the tree. So uh, we'll, we'll be doing that on July 2nd. And we're, we're also, we have some, some signs now that we'll be putting along the driveway and out on the street. So as you're driving by during the week, you'll be reminded, oh yeah, this Sunday is the outdoor service. And here's where you can go to get your soggy sandwiches. Exactly, exactly. So I would love for you to read this passage for us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue to look at a piece of First Peter, and this is First Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words, but by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way holy women of the past put their hope in God, used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters, if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as the weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Thanks. Lord God in heaven, Father God, we're grateful today that uh, we get to celebrate an aspect of really who you are. You created fathers in this world to reflect 
a part of your nature and your character. And we're grateful that, uh, that we get the privilege of, of living out pieces of who you are, your character, your actions. God, I'm thankful for the fathers that you have placed in our lives. Some of them are our own, and some of them uh, are the dad of someone else, but they've, they've influenced us in such a way, they've impacted us in such a way that we're grateful to be able to call them uh, dad, call them father. And I pray that you will help all of our, all of our dads to, to live out, to make it a, a high priority to live out your character, to show their family as well as other kids around them what it means to, to be a good father. I pray today for, for those who, uh, this is a hard day. It is a hard day. For some, uh, dad, is, dad is already gone. Gone, gone to be with you. For some, uh, Dad never was there. And, and for this day, it just it brings up a sense of uh, sadness, maybe even a sense of irritation. I pray that for all of us, you will keep turning our eyes toward you as the true Father. The Father to the, to the orphan, the Father to, to the one who, who just needs someone to love them. You are there. You are our Father. And we're grateful for that. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we've had a couple of disruptions from our pattern here. We've been looking at the, the letter of First Peter, uh, just five chapters in all. And on Mother's Day, we started a theme, and then the Sunday after that, that we're going to continue today. And that's looking at First Peter chapter 3, this section that's referred to as household codes. It's, it's basically a description of how a Christian household is supposed to work ideally. And as we talk about this today, I want, I want, to, I want to stress the fact that this is, this is God's ideal. When we get the chance to present something on Sunday morning from the Word of God, we're presenting, we're presenting an ultimate ideal. This is the standard. If this were a ruler of 12 inches, this is a foot. This is, this is what the standard looks like. And, it, and it's really important for us to always look and say, God, what is it that you intended originally? Now, having said that, even though that is the ideal, we live in the real. And we live in the broken and for a lot of us, as we've lived out life and even a Christian family, it's not always looked like this. And so there's, there's kind of always this tension. There's this tension between the ideal that God lays out and the real that so many of us have experienced. And we've got to be careful when that happens to always be turning our eyes toward the desire of God and not interpreting life simply through our own experiences. So, so God lays out for us the way a household is supposed to work. And, and, a, and a big piece of the reason he does this is that he wants us to understand when he told us that we are created in the image of God, even the way a family is designed and operates is a reflection of the image of God. And so when you look at the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, when you look at the Trinity, we find through Scripture that God is the one who leads that eternal community. Father, Son, and Spirit existed in eternal community. And we read that the Son submits to the will of the Father. He follows the Father. So when he's in the garden, he says, 
not my will, but yours be done. He says, I have come to do the will of him who sent me. So there's this clear sense that, that the Son is following the Father. And then as we continue to read Scripture, it's interesting that the Spirit, the Spirit follows both the Father and the Son. Now this is starting to sound a little bit like a family, right? It sound a little bit like the family, that, that the Father is to, to lead, wife is to follow the leadership of the, of the Father of the husband, and then the children are supposed to listen to both. It's not just one or the other, but they're to listen to both. So even in the design of the family, God gives us a picture to say, this is what I've looked like in eternal community, and I want you to reflect this piece of my nature and my character. And in this way, uh, we see something that's incredibly beautiful. So Uh, I want to start this morning by talking some to the dads, fathers, and husbands, uh, the men that we have in the room, because one of the roles that God has given us is to lead. You You were created to lead. God created you that way. He made you, he designed you to be a reflection of Father God. He created you to be a person who leads. And when I say the word lead, when I say the word submit, when I say the word follow, those words are just, they're packed with all kinds of meaning for us, and sometimes that meaning is not necessarily positive. Sometimes we hear those words, and it kind of, them's fighting words for some of us, you know what I mean? And so I think it's important to define what we're talking about when we use the word lead or leadership. And for me, a lot of times what helps is to not talk about what something is, but what something isn't. Look at the opposite. What is the opposite of leading? Well, for a lot of people, when they get that first role as a leader, whether you're finally in charge of the line at McDonald's or, or you do get married, whatever it may be, when that role of leader comes up, person get, gets elected to their fir- first term in office, that role of leadership comes into their hands, they equate leadership with dictatorship. For a lot of people, leadership is dictatorship. They believe that because they're in charge, their way goes, period. Their word is the only word that matters. No discussion, no no input, no nothing. I said it. This is what we're going to do, period. World without end. And I'm telling you that if that is your definition of leadership, you don't understand biblical leadership. Because biblical leadership is not about dictatorship at all. As I've uh, been going through my own time of of taking in the Word of God throughout the years, I've enjoyed reading the one-year Bible. And the last couple of years, I've switched from reading the one-year Bible to listening to it. So this is now the second time I'm listening through. I listen through almost daily. In fact, I missed one day at Green Lake. Got so busy. I'm like, oh man, so did a catch-up day that day. If if you're listening through the one-year Bible and you're on track with it, we've gone through 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. So we've learned about people like Eli and Samuel. We've learned about uh, Saul and Jonathan, the first king of Israel and his son. We've learned about David and and his sons, uh, Solomon and Absalom and and Rehoboam, all all these children of these kings as well as the king themselves. We've learned about some leaders. And as we've learned about these leaders, we found something about them. Some of them were not very good leaders, especially in their homes. 
They, they might have been a great leader of a nation, but they were a disaster in leading in their home. So Rehoboam is the son of Solomon. Uh, David dies. Solomon, his son, becomes king. Solomon dies, and Rehoboam becomes king. And, and when, he, when he becomes king, the people bring something to his attention. We've never really heard the people complain about the reign of Solomon. It is, it is a golden era in the nation of Israel. It is the high point of their existence. The temple is built. The palace is built. All of these projects are being done. The nation is at peace. It's just a, it's a fantastic season. That season of Solomon ends, Rehoboam becomes king, and the first people, the thing that people say is, we love your dad, but he was a brute. I mean, your, your dad made us work hard for his projects, and he taxed us a lot for his projects. If you just give us some relief, we will follow you anywhere. We'd be glad to follow you. And it's funny because Rehoboam says, I need some time to think about it. This is the son of the wisest man that ever walked the face of the earth. Maybe he did learn something from his father. I need a little thinking time. In his thinking time, he gathers some advice. He listens to his father's advisors, the older guys. He's like, what, would, what should I do? And the older guys say, hey, you want these people to follow you? You listen to them on this one. Give them a break. Give them, give them some relief. And he's like, well, thank you very much. And then, and then he calls around him uh, the young bucks, the people his age. And he says, so your opinion, what do you think? And, and I mean, you can see it's not going well. In verse 10, the young men replied, this is what you should tell these complainers. Who want a lighter burden? Okay, you already know. This is not going to a, a great place. The picture is amazing. My little finger is thicker than my father's waist. Yes, my father laid heavy burdens on you, but I'm going to lay even heavier. My father beat you with whips. I'm going to beat you with scorpions. Said, go say that to the people. And, and believe it or not, Rehoboam, his dad might have been the wisest man on earth. His son does not follow in his path because he follows the scorpion people. And you know what happens? The people say, we are not following you. He determined that leadership is the equivalent of dictatorship and quickly learned that he was wrong. Guys, I want to encourage you as you're learning what it means to be a leader, look at Jesus. Look at the way Jesus led. Can you think of a time ever, ever, that he led his followers in a dictatorial fashion? That he ever said, listen, bum, I created your fingers. I made you. You are going to listen to me. I, I invented the Bible. You are going to listen to me. He never, he never powers up on his people like that. He, he leads them in a winsome, attractive way. And, and Paul flatly says, he says, be like Jesus. Be humble. Don't be selfish. Have his mind who had equality with God but didn't see it as something he needed to cling to, clutch to. You see, when we lead as dictators, very often we are, we're clinging to, we're clutching power rather than realizing that is not the intent for it at all. Immature leaders demand to be followed. They demand to be followed. And as we grow in leadership, we realize dictatorship is not what leadership is about at all. Leading is not commanding but winsome. There is a, there's a beautiful winsomeness when we lead well. Leadership is not demeaning. It's not making the other person look stupid or feel stupid 
or make them think somehow that what they said is stupid, but it's supportive. It supports the other person. And leadership is not harsh but, but humble. That's what real leadership looks like, not dictatorial. So the opposite of leading is dictatorship, and there's another opposite. It is the opposite of passivity. Sadly for a lot of guys, especially in their families, they've just become incredibly passive. They pass off, they pass off everything to their spouse and just say, yeah, I want nothing to do with that. That, that, that. That's your area. That's not my area. Leave me alone. I want to take a nap. I want to go have fun. I want to play games, whatever it might be. Tremendous passivity on the part of those who are given the responsibility to lead. And as you start looking through the Bible, my goodness, passivity in, in the families in the Old Testament is rampant all the way back to the very first family. Eve sees that the fruit looks good. The serpent is convinced her. She takes it. She bites it. And what does she do? Hands it to Adam. And, and Adam doesn't go, what's this? Adam doesn't go, I'm sorry, is that from the tree that we're not supposed to eat from? He, he doesn't look at her and say, are you kidding me? That would be a sin against God. It, it, it doesn't say he said anything except, that's it. That's it. And even when God confronts him on it, what does he do? Oh, the woman, the woman you gave me, she made me eat it. I had no choice. Wah, wah. Are you kidding me? Really? She's leading you. We would not have had to weed at Green Lake if not for the stupid apple, right? I mean, come on, really? And what does he do? Just takes it. Just takes it. Keep going. I love this one. Sarah can't have kids. She has an idea. Why don't you sleep with my servant, Abram, and then we'll call that kid our own. In what universe is this a good idea? Can you imagine your spouse saying to you, hey, my best friend, she can have the baby for us. Go ahead. Uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. I don't care about the morality of this. Are you insane? Are you nuts? What is... Abram goes, oh. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Passivity. Total passivity. She's actually saying... Let's sin. And he says, eh, sounds good. We know that led nowhere good. Nowhere good at all. Eli. Eli and his sons, his sons are priests, and his sons are taking advantage of their position at the temple. They're doing all kinds of things they're not supposed to do, including taking advantage of and abusing women. Eli hears about it, and he says, kids, you shouldn't be doing that. That's, that's a no-no, that's a bad, that's a wrong. But he does nothing further. He doesn't say, guys, you are done in your role at the temple. And ultimately, ultimately leads to his life being taken as well as the lives of his son. David himself, the last thing I think of as David is a passive person. This guy is all action all the time. He's taking every hill he can see until he comes home. There's this dreadful story in 2 Samuel chapter 13. Dreadful story that one of his sons, Amnon, decides that his, his stepsister looks pretty beautiful and he'd love to have her. Talks to another brother and he says, here's, here's a plan, okay? Try this on. Tell dad you're sick and the only thing that will make you feel better is if Tamar comes and feeds you 
mouth feeds you with her own hands, feeds you the meal. Now, I'm telling you what. If my kid came to me and said, this is what I want, I'd say, are you out of your mind? Really? Does David not get the clue that something good is not going on here? But he just says, oh, that, that sounds like a plan. He rapes his sister. He rapes his stepsister. And then immediately he hates her guts. Immediately he has contempt for her. Absalom, the brother, takes revenge two years later. You know, all Scripture says is when David heard, he was angry. That's what a lot of us guys do. Oh, we're good at anger. We got that button down. We're good at anger. But what about action? He says nothing to Amnon. He says nothing to Tamar. That's it. Tremendous passivity. The next slide, I had it originally entitled Reasons for Passivity, and I changed it to Excuses. Because the only reason we're passive is we have excuses for being passive. If we're to lead, the last thing we're supposed to do is be passive. We might say, hey, that's not my job. That's his mother's job. His mother takes care of the the God stuff. His mother takes care of the moral stuff. No, you do. You do. That's what God has called us to do. He's called us both together to help lead our children in this way. It's not my personality. I'm not a confronter. That's that's not the way I work. Someone else needs to do that. You don't have to go to combat in order to say to somebody, what you did is wrong and there have to be consequences. I think for some, and this might have been true for David, he was just, he was fighting on all fronts all the time. And he just wanted to come home and say, I want one place that I don't have to fight. I want one place that I don't have to lead. And guess what? It was the most important place for him to lead. For some, it comes down to personal history. Our kid is doing something we did, and we're kind of going, who am I? Who am am I? I, They're going to call me out as a hypocrite if I raise this. For a lot of it, it's just we're too busy. I think of life at 33. It was spinning. It was, I got a lot more time now. House is a lot quieter. Life has some, some pieces that are a lot easier. But during that season, it was just busy all the time. I'd add one more, and that's the American emasculation of the male. That males are being told, shut up, get to the side. And some of us are actually buying into it instead of listening to what the Word of God is saying. What is leading? Leading is loving well. You expect me to say leadership is is having a great plan and knowing where... No, it's just loving well all the time. It's it's being the best lover in the family. It's, It's loving your children, loving your wife well. And part of loving your children well is to say, that's wrong. We... we. We love people. We don't stop telling somebody that they're doing something wrong because we love them. We stop telling them they're doing something wrong because we don't love them. That makes sense? Too often we think that it's the loving thing to keep our mouth shut. That is not loving your child. That is not loving a person. Speaking the truth in love, that's loving well. Leading is serving constantly constantly. It's licking the ketchup out of the hair. It's serving constantly. You're like, I just need a break. You had a kid. 
get to work. I'm, I'm telling you, they're there. They're not going away. It's like taking care of chickens, you know what I mean? They don't go away. They need care all the time. You can't just go, eh, I'm going to leave the chickens alone for a week, and you can't leave your kids alone for a week. You've got to serve them constantly, but I'm tired. Then get used to it, because I'm telling you, for a few years, it's going to be tired, and then you'll get rest, and life gets really boring and quiet. Serve well, and leading is sacrificing all, including the remote including the time you play games, including the fun you want to have. Leading is serving well. This is what it looks like to be a godly, biblical leader in your family. So, the question comes to us. What if? What if? You know, we talked a few weeks ago about this idea that, that Peter is saying that, that a wife is to follow her husband. And we lay out the ideal, but then we live in the real and there are some reels that make this difficult. Someone might ask, what if, what if my husband, what if my dad is just spiritually disinterested? What if they're not a believer? Do I have to follow them? What if, what if they just, there's, they might, you know, attend church, but it's clear. God and spirituality is not on their radar whatsoever. Do I still have to follow them? Do I still have to lead? And the, I think the answer is, well, it's already found in Scripture, it's really beautiful, that Peter says, in the same way, submit yourselves to your husband so that if one of them do not believe the word, they may be won over by, without words by the behavior of their wives as they see their purity and their reverence, we actually have the opportunity to witness to an unbelieving spouse, to witness to a non-spiritual spouse by doing what God says. But here's the thing. If they're asking you to sin, we have the example from the book of Acts. You are to obey God rather than men. What does he say? You're to obey a God over any human authority. Any human authority. So if they're calling on you to sin, no, I can't. I need to obey God. I, I want to encourage you, if this is the role you find yourself in, to find a couple of really godly people to be with you in it. People outside of your family. Some other people that, that as, as circumstances come up and you're asking, should I follow? Should, should in this case I say, I'm sorry, I, I can't do this? Um, have some people that can help you along the way. A community of support that helps in that. What if my husband, secondly, or my dad, is not a good leader. They just, I mean, I look at other leaders and I watch them lead, and I look at my dad, I look at my husband, and if our family was stuck in a wet paper bag, we couldn't get out with his direction. We would be stuck. What do we do? What do we do? What do we do if this guy is just not a good leader? I, I would begin here, and I know if you're already married, it's too late. But if you're getting married, if you're getting married, and, and you're looking at this guy and you're going, huh, well, it'll change after the ring. No, it will not. It will not. It will, we, we can grow, but the fundamentals of who a person is, it's there. You know, you don't, you don't go to the rack and the dress says as is and then return it because of a rip. If you're looking at someone, I love Ronald Reagan's lines on this, don't be afraid to see what you see. For too many of us, we cross our eyes a little bit and make everything look really good. No, know what you're, but now you're in, now you're in. I, I want to I encourage you to help, help your spouse learn to lead. 
And there are two ways we do this. Sometimes it's just through suggestion. Well, this is what I would do. But sometimes it's just stepping back and giving the person the space to make a decision. Sometimes we're too, way too quick to run, rush into the void. And the same is true for our children. Sometimes we're way too quick to rush into the void. We need to give them the space to make the decision. And again, I'd encourage you to have some godly counselors around you. Here's the toughest one. What if my dad or husband is cruel and abusive? This passage of Scripture does not justify abuse. Does not. It does not justify a man saying, you have to follow me no matter what. Come here. This passage of Scripture does not justify abuse. And I'll tell you what, especially if the action is illegal, it does not justify staying quiet because the Bible tells me I need to follow. The Bible is not saying, it is not saying, God is not saying men have the right to be abusive toward their spouse or their children. And if that's the situation you are in, I think one of the things that's so dreadful about that situation, one of the many things about it, is that you endure it in silence and alone. You think nobody knows. And you think if you say something, it's just going to bring shame to my family. You need help. You need help. You need the help of Christian friends. You need the help of Christian leaders. You need people to help you in that situation. I will say this too, and I'm really careful in saying this. Just a chapter back, Peter talks about the relationship between a master and a slave. And he says, even if the master is cruel, follow. And you read that and you go, what in the world is going on there? And I think part of what Peter is trying to convey to us is that some of us believe we can, only, we can only live for God if everything is absolutely perfect and in line. And he's saying sometimes we're going to live in a broken world, a hard world. That doesn't mean we, we whitewash the brokenness. That doesn't mean we ignore the brokenness. But we can look and ask this question. And I'm, I'm saying this very carefully, okay? We can't ask this question. God, what might you want to accomplish in me? What might you want to accomplish in my family? What might you accomplish even through something that is dreadful? And to have an openness to the way God might work in your life. A piece of that, what he might accomplish, is a confronting that's going to be incredibly difficult. Um, but none of these negate completely the command of Scripture. I think all of them call for wisdom and discernment. And wisdom and discernment often happen best, not just inside of our head, but in community. And so I'd encourage you to gather some community around you. Well, I want to take a moment to, to celebrate the best father, not only in the room, but in the universe. And that's God himself. And so I thought a good way to lead into communion this morning would be for all of us to stand. Go ahead. And be in the presence of God right now. And we're going to pray a prayer to him. A prayer Jesus gave us. And I recognize these days that between the multitude of traditions we come from 
as well as the multitude of, of translations we use, that if we all pray the Lord's Prayer the way we do, it would sound like a Pentecostal speaking in tongues. And so, words are on the screen. Let's go ahead and pray this together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours, now and forever. Amen. We say these words this morning, conscious of you and your presence, God. Conscious that you do lay out an ideal for us, and we are in a real broken world. I pray that you will lead us as a father. Lead us in, in such a way that we will, we will gain wisdom and discernment from our relationship with you as well as from the relationship that we have with others. I pray that you will strengthen us as men to be good leaders and biblical leaders, not dictators, not passive, but absolutely loving well, sacrificing all and serving constantly. Help us to be the best servants in our house, we pray the best at loving, and the best at sacrificing. Thank you for this gift of communion that we get the chance every week to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen. You can have a seat, and we'll be walked in communion, tables at the front and the back, gluten-free on either side of the platform. And worship team is going to be singing a beautiful song uh, as we partake of our time of communion. I want to end with a prayer, but it's not a prayer by me. And it's a prayer we've heard in the past, and every time I watch it, I can't help but be completely choked up. So it's a prayer for our dads. If you are either near the, uh, the father of your children or your dad, you may want to reach out, hold a hand, put a hand on your dad, and let's receive this prayer. I'm going to go find my kid. Hi. There you are. Hi. <laughs> let's move to the side so they can see. All right. Let's go. Pray. As you go into your world, may love your children like God loves his children. May you find your identity in being a son of the only perfect father. May you make it possible, make it impossible for your daughters to ever find a husband as good as their dad. May you teach your children that their mother is the most beautiful woman alive. She's really pretty. May you risk more, worry less, and play hard. May you lead your family, not as a king, but as a servant. Who protects their hearts, protects their hearts. little things, the little things. And finally, and finally, may you lay down your life for your family. And may you introduce them to a God, to a God that's already done that exact thing. 
We hope that you have a great day today. Great day today. Have a great day today. Happy Father's Day. 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 It is okay to be a man. In fact, it is, it is good to be a man, a man of God. So lead that way. Lead well. Lead really well. It may be a rough, hard day for you. You may be longing for someone who's not here anymore, wishing somebody who is would be different. And if you need some time to pray, Diane will be up front here to pray with you. Uh, we'd love for you to have that as well today. We'll see you next week.